0: As I've been looking at some of the things that that we've been talking about all summer, and and I really want to take the next couple of weeks, and I want to lace in some of the time that I spent in Israel. And the reason is because I don't want us to read the Word of God just because... It is beneficial to us and, and we know this and it's an academic thing and we want to put it in our heart and we want it to protect us and, and give us encouragement, all of those pieces. But I want you to understand that these are real places. That these were real people. That this is not a book that was contrived that was written after the fact about things that, that they thought happened, okay? The mountain of evidence that exists for the Bible in its complete context is astonishing. If you do any research into it. We talked a little bit a couple of weeks, of, uh, weeks ago, I showed you the, the pictures of the caves at Qumran. And the fact that there was a shepherd boy in the 60s, right, throwing rocks to scare sheep out of a cave and finds an entire copy of the Word of God that had been there since the first century. This stuff happens for our benefit, for our faith to be encouraged, yes. But they were written to us... (laughs) by the hand of God, through men, that, we're going, that we were going to be able to apply it to our lives today. So even though it's thousands of years old, it has lots of application for our life today. And I want us to continue to look at these stories. And so, as I got the opportunity to be in Israel, I, I tried to take pictures. And, and <laughs> I was just talking to somebody this morning. at. There's about 175 pictures that I came home with, and that doesn't sound like maybe a lot, but I'm not a guy that just takes lots and lots of pictures either. Uh, Typically, I take a picture of something I want to remember. And so there were 175 different moments that I thought, I have to take a picture of that. And there's a story basically with each one. And so I'm not going to tell you all the stories, but I am going to lace in some of the pictures to the stories in the New Testament. So that you can see these real places that existed. So this morning, if you would open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5 or open it up to you version there. Mark chapter 5, and I'm just going to start with one verse because I want to give you some context to what this verse might have looked like in reality. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large cat crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And so I wanted you to see a picture, and the first two pictures are of a lake and of a boat, okay? Now, that, now the boat is a small one. This is what the lake looked like. What we call it is the Sea of Galilee, right? In map form, when you look for that, that is the Sea of Galilee. The boat itself, you can tell, Just there's a couple of people in the picture there. That's the size of fishing vessel that a lot of guys would be in. That was actually recovered from the the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, that boat specifically. And they date it back to the first century. There was a season of drought in the land of Israel and it had revealed lots of things along the edges of the lake and this boat was found capsized in mud there in the edge of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the word they use is lake, right? That's what we transcribe it as, but it is actually the Sea of Galilee and they pulled this boat out of the mud. If you ever want to hear a crazy story of how they got it out of the mud in one piece, I'll tell you that another time. It's, it's fascinating just how they preserved it. But this is an actual boat that would be of the same similar size to what we might have envisioned some of the fishermen being out in. So now you start to put into context when it says that, that they got the net of fish, that they it was so big they couldn't get it into the boat... Well, now imagine a couple of men in this boat trying to pull up a net full of fish and you're gonna, you're gonna capsize the boat, right? It's just not as big as we think. So intentionally picture the guys in this boat rowing across the lake that you're gonna see in this other picture, okay? And this is the Sea of Galilee. And so you can see you could commute from side to side, right? It's possible. It's also in a very big bowl. So where I'm standing, you can see the top of a ridge there. There's another ridge right behind me. These are all named. They're all the mounts that you hear about in Scripture. The Mount of Beatitudes. All these places that you find in your New Testament. Imagine yourself standing literally on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. That there's one of those small boats out there And in John chapter 21, the disciples are out there. Jesus has already passed away. And they see somebody standing on the shore. And they realize it's Jesus. And what does Peter do? Throws off his coat and he jumps in the water and he swims to shore, right? It could have happened right there. These are real places. These were real times, real events. i got to tell you that standing there was, was humbling. <laughs> um, it was, there were at times it was difficult to be in some of these places because we knew the history. We knew what had happened and what was going to, to change our world in those moments. This particular story starts with Jesus in a boat crossing a lake, right? So He might have come across, and we would be on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee in a place called Capernaum. You've probably heard the name, you've probably read it and gone, I I recognize that name, it's in the Scripture, because there are 18 different Gospel accounts If you read through just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there will be 18 different times that stories happen in Capernaum. Right in this little region that that these two stories happen that we're going to look at today. Eighteen different stories. And to stand there and to absorb it and to understand that you are literally in a place where these events took place. So Jesus crosses over by boat to the other side, and again, a large crowd gathers. And we know that already, right? We know that large crowds followed Him everywhere He went. In verse 22, we'll see the first significant story that happens. It begins to unfold as Jesus gets out of the boat and walks onto the shore. In verse 22, one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. At Capernaum, The next picture is of a ruins, okay? There is this place, and there's part of my group sitting inside of this white stone structure is from the 4th century Roman period, and they built it on the foundation of already an existing synagogue. See the black stone? If you've got a good foundation, and you're going to build another temple... Why rebuild the foundation? That's how the ancients thought because they built everything out of large stones, folks. Okay, And so what they did in the 4th or 5th century is rebuilt another temple on top of this temple at Capernaum. The temple where Jairus was a synagogue leader. Historically dating that specific foundation that black layer of stone back to this story the synagogue leader that we read about in mark that we've read about how many times right we've, we've read about Jarus, he's coming up to jesus and he's pleading for his daughter's life he hits his knees and it happened at the edge of the lake the edge of the sea of galilee right here in capernaum just outside of a synagogue where he was the leader Real people, real places, real events. The information is there. It's there to bolster our faith, to help us continue to grow and to believe and to understand the authenticity of who Jesus was. Because the, the fact that we find these stones and that jarus would, would exist in antiquity and we know his name and, and know the story, that is not... That is not really why we read this story, is it? We read the story because of what Jesus does. We have to be able to place Jesus in a real time, a real place, and a real event for sometimes for us to make sense. So as I was combing through some of the pictures and looking for opportunities, this was one of the first ones that I found Zechariah would have possibly come out of this synagogue the place where he worked right he was the synagogue leader this was the place where he spent his days and he would have gotten word that Jesus was going through, right? Because if you remember, Jesus went to all the synagogues first. That's where he would try to go and teach. And so he would know Jesus is going to show up and he's going to come to the synagogue and Jar is going to have a chance to sit down with Jesus. And he's gotten word that his daughter is very ill. And he takes the opportunity to say, Jesus, I need you to come to my house. He's at work doing what he does. His daughter is at home ill and Jesus walks into the situation. And Jairus knows immediately this guy can help. This guy can do something that I know I am incapable of. And he asks him, he falls right down on his knees and he asks him, And Jesus says, let's go. So Jesus went with him, and the large crowd followed and pressed in on him. So the crowd wanted to see what was going to happen as well. So now you've got this large mass of people leaving the area. They're all going to follow Jairus and Jesus to see how this works out. And a large crowd is gathered around him, and then we move into verse 25. A woman was there in the crowd who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind Him in the crowd and she touched His cloak. Because she thought, if I touch His clothes... I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from Him. And He turned around in the crowd and He asked, Who touched My clothes? You see the people crowding against you? The disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched Me? Do you understand that the large crowd, right? What they're saying is, how do you know somebody touched you, Jesus? I mean, can, are you serious now? Like, can you look at all these people around you, and you're going to ask, who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it, and then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So in this large crowd of people, leaving to go help Jairus, Jesus stops the whole crowd. He's got a mission, right? He's going to go try to save this little girl's life, but He stops this crowd and says, who touched me? Because this woman he doesn't even know who it is, has touched him and has been healed by her faith. She falls down on her knees and she says, I'm the one who did it. I've been suffering terribly and I know that you have what I need. The apostles, the the disciples, none of them even understand what's going on. They have this large crowd and they're like, Jesus, are you serious right now? Like how are you going to identify the person that touched you? What do you mean by that? There was a difference in the way that she sought Jesus. Jairus and this woman both understood their situation. They both knew what it meant to live with suffering. To watch your daughter lie ill with no hope. To suffer for a dozen years. Not being able to get any answers. And both of these folks fell at Jesus' feet. In a real place, real time, real people. Because they knew what He represented in their life. They didn't just believe that Jesus was a good man. They didn't believe He was a good doctor, right? They didn't go there just looking for His medical advice. They went there believing more about Jesus than possibly even the disciples at that moment. (laughs) They were being taught by Him. They'd been called by Him. They were still trying to figure this thing out. But these folks had given everything that was left in their life, they fell on their knees at Jesus' feet and said, you're the only one that can help me. You're the only one that knows what I'm going through. There was a painting in one of the buildings and it struck me as I walked through it. it was a, it's a beautiful painting, yes, but it's this large mural And there's just this one hand coming into the frame to try to touch Jesus' cloak, right? As she's trying to get close enough as the disciples are gathered around and she's, she's on her knees and she's reaching. If I could just touch his cloak, the bleeding would stop. It would all be better. We all need to recognize our need that way. Because we live in a world where we don't want for anything right now, right? We don't have to worry about whether or not the lights are going to come on. We don't have to worry about whether I'm going to have hot water most days, right? We don't worry about anything. What need do we have? And when we finally are faced with some form of trial or circumstance that challenges our faith, we need to remember to fall on our knees. To have that kind of belief in who Jesus really is. Not just to believe He was a good man that taught good lessons, that, that He was a guy that was a leader of the people of Israel, but, but to believe what these folks believed, that at the end of their rope, at the end of all they faced, at the beginning of something new, was found at Jesus' feet. This woman literally spent 12 years struggling. Struggling. You don't even understand what this meant inside of Jewish culture. It meant she was an outcast because you could not be around other people when you were bleeding women. That was part of the law at the time. So not only did she have to suffer with this physically, she was outcast. She was unclean. She would not have been able to go into the temple. She would not have been able to give sacrifices. All of these things, her life was defiled was defective. Everything that she loved was stopped because of this issue. She finally understood Jesus is the One that if I could just get close enough to Him, it would all be better. And every day we have that opportunity, don't we? we can start our day that way. Because Jesus was a real person in real time, dealing with real issues, but He was the Son of God. And that's the thing. I can tell you all the facts that you want to hear. I can show you all of the places that exist and, and pre- present all kinds of evidence, but you have to take it that step further. It's going to be up to you who you believe Jesus actually was. I can give you all kinds of evidence that He existed, that people loved Him, that the historians called Him a miracle worker, that He was a worker of good deeds, all of these things. There are no writings to the contrary, actually. Think about that. We have all these eyewitness testimonies about who Jesus was, saved from antiquity, yet there are none that communicate anything to the contrary. I can give you all kinds of evidence all day long for those kinds of things. But I cannot make you believe what these two people believed about Jesus. I cannot put you in that place. That's up to you. I can transport you there historically, But emotionally, spiritually, the rest is up to you. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Her faith healed her. Her belief that Jesus was not just some good man That he was not just a great teacher, but that he was someone that could heal what most destroyed her life. She took it to him and on her knees just reached out and said, I've got to get close enough to him. And Jairus did the same thing, right? He fell on his knees. And and we interrupted that story because this one falls in between. And Jesus doesn't seem to have any kind of urgency to get to Jarus' daughter, right? It seems as if, wait a minute, weren't we going to heal a young girl? (laughs) And yet you stop and you take care of this issue, and we still got to deal with this little girl. And Jairus is apparently waiting with Jesus while all of this unfolds. What do you think it did to Jarus' belief? He had asked for Jesus to come heal his daughter, then he, he's standing in this crowd and a woman comes in and just touches him and is healed. How do you think Jairus is Jairus excited at this point? He is encouraged beyond belief, probably, right? He doesn't even know how to contain himself. He's saying, Jesus, let's go. I see what you're doing, and I need that for my daughter. And at that moment, verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking those words to her, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? I'm sure it was a crushing blow to Joris. for him to be at one point so ecstatic seeing this woman healed by her faith, knowing that he had just entrusted his daughter's life to Jesus, that it was going to be possible and then to get this news as Jesus hesitates to heal this other woman. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, he looks at Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Believe. If I was ever going to get a tattoo, <laughs> that should be it, right? Right here. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Because isn't that what stops us most of the time? We're afraid of of what might happen. We're afraid of what people might think. We're afraid that if we put our trust in Jesus, then people will think we're silly. And Jesus looks at Jarus with Jairus' life's Jarus' daughter's life in his hands. He looks at him and he says, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Jesus thinks of things much more eternally than we do, doesn't He? (laughs) But they laughed at Him. And then He put them all out, and He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with Him, They went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaun, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up, began to walk around, and she was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. (laughs) Not only was she she healed and raised from the dead, but she was hungry. (laughs) Right? When I read that, I was like, man. She wasn't just better, she was healed you understand that? Think about what it's like when you get a stomach bug. How many days is it till you feel like eating again? Right? This girl had just been healed, and he said, you better give her something to eat, because she's hungry. (laughs) Reality and eternity intersect all the time, folks. Life and death. The reality of the world that we live in intersecting with our eternal destiny. Jesus was that perfect balance of what that looked like over and over and over for us. He was the light that came into the world when men loved darkness. Darkness. Jairus his daughter the woman who was healed came down to belief and faith right Jesus didn't heal everybody in the new testament It doesn't diminish His capacity or ability or who He was. This specific story was written just so that we could be encouraged. So that we might know that the Son of God who was going to die and be brought back to life by His Father had the power... Over death. So that you could look and say that Jesus is God. He's not just a good man, not just a good teacher, not just a leader of men. Yes, He was all those things. He was a real man in a real place in a real time. Interacting with real people with real troubles in real places but He was the Son of God doing that. And that's the difference that you have to understand in your own life. That as you interact with God in your everyday life, you have the opportunity to interact with the Creator of the universe. The One that has the power over life and death, reality and eternity, that's who you are get to interact with. That's why He came. That's the reason that all of the stories are written, that all of the archaeology is uncovered, all of those things are for our benefit to understand more completely and more wholly that He was fully man, and these stories are to help us understand He was fully God. And that He was here on purpose for us. To change the eternal destiny of all those who believe in Him. Because God so loved the world. That's what He did. So what do you really believe about Jesus? I've asked the question before because it just begs asking all the time. What do you really believe about Jesus? Do you already believe that He is the Son of God, that that He holds your eternity in His hand? And all of the stuff that we're going through is just giving you more and more evidence to that truth? Or are you compiling evidence waiting to make that decision? Waiting until there's enough evidence for it to make sense. And that evidence will never come, folks. (laughs) There will always be a step you will have to take not supported by fact. It's the way it's designed. It wouldn't be faith without it. Everyone in the world would want to be a Christian if it was all articulated and lined out and made sense. If you could defend it from every point of view and every position, then He wouldn't be God either. Because you would understand Him wholly and completely. And I don't serve someone that I understand wholly or completely. His thoughts are way above mine. The woman brought Jesus her most intimate physical pain and laid it at His feet. Jarus entrusted his daughter's life to Him. Both examples of what we could do in our everyday life, right? As a parent, I have the choice to entrust God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit with my kids every day. I can try to protect them, I can try to do all things, but, but I have to place them in God's hands to allow them to be all that God wants them to be. They will never achieve what they are fully capable of without me allowing them to do that. I will never be able to carry the weight of my own sin and my own pain. And neither will you. The beauty is there's a place you can take it. Just like this woman took her most intimate, painful part of her life and she laid it at Jesus' feet and He took it away. You have the opportunity to do that as well today. To just let it go. To allow Jesus to be who He was. God, who came and interacted with real people in real places at real pain (laughs) for our sake. What do you really believe about Jesus? We're going to have some fun over the next couple weeks and just look at some great things that I got to see. We'll give you more and more evidences and more and more places, but you still have to answer that question. You will be confronted with it the rest of your life, I hope. That you will hear my voice, unfortunately, in your ear. What do you really believe about Jesus? Because it matters eternally. It matters how we interact with each other. It changes the relationships and the dynamics that we have with each other as the body of Christ. And it matters for our eternal Salvation. Something that can never be taken away from you. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You for the way in which You have orchestrated so many things around our world to help continue to point us to You. Lord, I pray that we, would be, that we would be willing to be led to the truth. Lord, it's all around us. We see it. We know it. We understand it. We feel it. We've witnessed it. Lord, I pray that we would continue to be a part of it. The ongoing history of who You are and what it is You want to do in people's lives. Lord, thank You for the opportunity to serve. Thank You for dying for us, for loving us. Lord, thank You for the opportunity we have to be Your body, Your hands and Your feet. In Jesus' name, Amen.